0: Chapter three Part two of the Planet Strappers. This Librevox recording is in the public domain. The Planet Strappers by Raymond Z. Gallon. Chapter three Part two. Hey, our spare drum. It'll drift off, Ramos shouted. The Kuzeks dived to retrieve the cylinder. Others followed, but there was a peculiar circumstance. The friction cover at one of its ends hung open there was a trailing wisp of Stelline, part of the bub packed inside, and a thin, angry face with rather hysterical eyes within the helmet of an Archer Five. "'Shh! It ain't safe for me to come out yet,' Glenn Tiflin hissed threateningly. "'Damn you all, if you dare queer me!' "'Cripes, another Jonah!' Charlie Reynolds growled. Frank Nelson looked at the Cusacks floating near. "'Well, what could we do?' Joe Kuzak, the gentler twin, whispered, "He came back to Jarviston to our rooming house one night. We promised to help him a little. What are you going to do with a character nuts enough about space to armor up and stuff himself inside a blast-off drum? Of course, he didn't come that way from home. There's that electronic check of drum contents at the gate of the port, but he was there on a visitor's pass, waiting, having hitchhiked all the way to here." After the electronic check, he figured on stowing away while the drums were waiting to be loaded. The only thing we did to help was to take a little of the stuff out of the spare drum and stow it in our two drums to leave him some room. We thought sure he'd be caught quick. But you can see he got away with it. Those USSF boys at the port don't really give a damn who gets out here. Okay, I'll buy it, Reynolds sighed heavily. "'Good luck with the stunt, Tiff.' "'Tiflin' only gave him a poisonous glare, "'as the nine fragile, gleaming rings, "'the drifting men, and the spare drum "'orbited on into the Earth's shadow. "'Not nearly as dark as it might have been, "'because the moon was brilliant. "'We'd better rig the parabolic mirrors on the Ionics "'to catch the first sunshine in about forty minutes, "'so we can start moving out of orbit,' Ramos said. "'We'll have to think of food sometime, too.' "'Food, yet, ugh!' Art Kuzak grunted. Frank felt the fingers of spasm taking hold of his stomach. Most everybody was getting fall-sick now, their insides not finding any up-or-down direction. But the guys wavered back to their bubs. The shoulder ionics of their archers, though normally sun-energized, could draw power from the small nuclear batteries of the armor during the rare moments when there could be darkness anywhere in solar space.' The planet strappers stood in the rigging of their fragile vehicles, setting the full-sized ionics to produce increased acceleration, which would gradually push the craft beyond orbit. Joe Kuzak ran a steel wire from a pivot vault at the hub of his ring to tow Tiflin and his drum. Then everybody crawled into their respective bubs, most of them needing the centrifugal gravity to help straighten out their fall sickness. "'My neck is swelling, too,' Frank Nelson heard Charlie Reynolds say. "'Lymphatic glands sometimes bog down in the absence of weight. "'Don't worry if it happens to some of you. "'We know that it straightens out.' For a few minutes it seemed that they had a small respite in their struggle for adjustment to a fantastic environment. "'Well, I got cleaned up some. That's better,' Two and Two said. "'But look at the fuzzy lights down on Earth.' "'Hell, is it right for a fella to be looking down on the lights of Paris, Moscow, Cairo, Ragoon, when he hasn't ever been any further than Minneapolis?' Two and two sounded fabulously befuddled. David Lester started screaming again. They had left him alone and apparently unconscious inside his ring, because all ionics, including his, had had to be set. Then, in the pressure of events, they had almost forgotten him. ''I'll go look,'' Frank Nelson said. Mitch's story was there ahead of him. Mitch's helmet was off. His dark face was all plains and hollows in the moonlight, coming through the thin, transparent walls of the vehicle. ''Should we call the USSF Patrol, Frank?'' he asked anxiously. ''Have them take him off. Cos he sure can't stand another devil-killer.'' ''We'd better,'' Frank answered quickly. But now Tiflin, having deserted his blast-off drum, was coming through the airlock flaps, too. He stepped forward gingerly along the spinning, ring-shaped tunnel. Poor bookworm, he growled in a tone curiously soft for Glenn Tifflin. Think I don't understand how it is? And how do you know if he wants to get sent back? Mitch had removed Lester's helmet, too. Tiflin knelt. His arm moved with savage quickness. There was a crack of knuckles in a rubberized steel-fabric space glove against Lester's jaw. His hysterical eyes glazed and closed, his face relaxed. For a second of intolerable fury, Frank wanted to tear Tiflin apart. But Mitch half grinned. That might be an answer, he said. They plopped where they were and tried to rest until the orbiting cluster of rings emerged from Earth's shadow into blazing sunshine again. Then Mitch and Frank returned to their own bubs to check on the acceleration. It was soon plain that Joe Cusack's bub, towing Tiflin's drum, would lag. Hell, Art Cusack snapped. Get that character out here to help us inflate and rig his own equipment. We did enough for him. So, if the force notices that there are ten bubs instead of nine, the extra is still just our spare. Hey, Tiflin! Nuts, I'm looking after panty waste, Tiflin growled back. All right, Art returned. So we just cast your junk adrift. Come on, boy. There was no kidding in the dry tone. Tiflin snarled, but obeyed. Ions jetting from the earthward hub ends of the rotating rings yielded their steady few pounds of thrust. The gradual outward spiral began. "'Cripes, I'm not sure I can even astrogate to the moon,' Two-and-Two was heard to complain. "'I'll check your ionic setting for you, 2 and two Gimp answered him. After that, the acceleration should continue properly, without much attention. So, how about you and me taking first watch, while the others ease off a little? Frank Nelson crept carefully back into his own rotating ring, still half afraid that an armored knee or elbow might go right through the thin, yielding stilling. Prone and with his helmet still sealed, he slipped into the fog which the tranquilizer now induced in his brain while the universe of stars, moon, sun, and earth tumbled regularly around him. He dreamed of yelling in endless fall, and of climbing over metal-veined chunks of a broken world where once there had been air, sea, desert, and forests, and minds not unlike those of men, but in bodies that were far different. Gurgling thickly, he awoke and snapped on his helmet phone to kill the utter silence. Someone muttered a prayer in a foreign tongue, Nuestra dama de Guadalupe, ti Piro, por favor. Tengo, Mido, I'm scared. Piro, pienso más en ella. I think more of her, mi chula, mi linda, my beautiful Eileen. Keep her. The prayer broke off as if a switch was turned. It had been brash, Ramos. Now there were only some fragments of harmonic music. Frank slipped into the blur again, awakening at last with two and two shaking his shoulder. Hey Frankie, we're five hours out by the chronometers. Look how small the earth has got. We're all going to have brunch in Ramos's vehicle. Know what that goofball Mex was doing before? Stripped down to his shorts and with the spin stop for zero-g he was bouncing back and forth from wall to wall inside his bub. The sun makes it nice and warm in there. I think I might try it myself sometimes. Shucks, I feel pretty good now. Frankie, ain't you hungry?' Frank felt limp as a rag, but he felt much better than before, and he could stand some nourishment. "'Lead on, two and two, he said. Rommels' bub was spinning once more, but he was wearing just dungarees. The bunch, the planet strappers, with only their helmets off, were crouched, evenly spaced around the circular interior of the ring. Dave Lester was there, too, staring, but fairly calm now. In this curious place, there was a delicious and improbable aroma of coffee, cooked by mirror-reflected sunlight on a tiny solar stove. "'So that's the way it goes,' Charlie Reynolds commented profoundly. "'We reach out for strangeness. Then we try to make it as familiar as home.' "'Stew warmed in the cans, too,' Ramos declared. "'Enough for a light one time around.' I brought the stew along. Hope you birds remember. Then we're back on dehydrates. Hell, except for the weight problem and consequent cost of stuff from Earth, we'd have it made out here. The big vacuum ain't so tough. No storms in it, even to tear our bubs apart. I guess we won't ever have a bigger adventure than finding out for ourselves that we can get along with space. If we had a beef roast, we'd put it in a sealed container of clear plastic, Gimp laughed set it turning outside the bub on a swiveled tether wire. It would rotate for hours like on a spit, almost no friction, rig some mirrors to concentrate the sun's heat. Space force men do things like that. Shut up! I'm getting hungry, Art Kuzak roared. Ramos poured the coffee in the thin magnesium cups that each of the bunch had brought. Their squeeze bottles for zero-G drinking were not necessary here. Their skimpy portions of stew were spooned on magnesium plates. Knife and fork combinations were brought out. An apple puree, which had been powdered, followed the stew. Brunch was soon over. "'That's all for now, folks,' Ramos said ruefully. Tiflin snaked the cigarette out from inside the collar of his archer. "'Hey!' Reynolds yelled mildly. "'Oxygen, remember? Shouldn't you ask our host first? Ramos had eased up on ribbing Tiflin months ago. "'It's okay,' he said. "'The air restorers are new.' But Tiflin's explosive nerves, under strain for a long time, didn't take it. He threw down the unlighted fag. He snicked his switchblade from a thigh pocket. For an instant it seemed that he would attack Reynolds. Then the knife flew and penetrated a thin taut wall to its handle. There was a frightening hiss until the sealing gum between the double layers cut off the leak. The Cusacks had Tiflin helpless and snarling at once. "'Get a patch, somebody. Fix up the hole.' "'Joe,' the mild one growled. "'Tiflin, me and my brother helped you. Now we're going to sit on you, just to make sure your funny business doesn't kill us all. Try anything just once, and we'll feed you all that vacuum without an archer. If you're a good boy... Maybe you'll live to get dumped on the moon as we pass by. Nuts! Let's give this sick rat to the Space Force right now, Art Kuzak hissed. Here comes their patrol bub. The glinting, transparent ring with the barred white star was passing at a distance. All is well with you novices, the inquiring voice was a gruff drawl, mingled with crunching sounds of eating, perhaps a candy bar. "'No,' Tiflin whispered, pleading. "'I'll watch myself.' The United Nations patrol was out, too, farther off, another darker bub, with other markings passing by quite close. Its foreign lines more than a bit sinister to the bunch's first startled view. It was a Tovey vehicle, representing the other side of the still, for the most part, passively opposed forces on Earth and far beyond, but, through the darkened transparency of Staline, the armored figures, again somewhat sinister, only raised their hands in greeting. In a minute, Frank Nelson emerged from Ramos's ring, floating free. He stabilized himself, fussed with the radio antenna of his helmet phone for a moment, making its transmission and reception directional. On the misty, shrinking earth, North America was visible. "'Frank Nelson to Paul Hendricks,' he said. "'Frank Nelson to Paul Hendricks.' Paul was waiting all right. "'Hello, Frankie. Some of the guys talked already. Said you were asleep.' "'Hi, Paul. Yeah. Terra still looks big and beautiful. We're okay. Amazing, isn't it? How just a few watts of power, beamed out in a thin thread, will reach this far, and lots farther. Hey, will you open and shut your front door?' Let's hear that old customer's bell jingle. Best to you, to J. John, to Nance Cottis, to Miss Parks, and everybody. The squeak of hinges and the jingling came through clear and nostalgically. Come on, Frank, two and two urged. Other guys would like to talk to Paul. Hey, Paul, maybe you could get my folks down to the store to say hello to me on your transmitter. And I guess Les would appreciate it if you got his mother. When the talk got private, Frank went to Mitch Story's bub. "'I wanted to show you,' Mitch said. "'I brought seeds and these little plastic tubes with holes in them "'that you can string around inside a bub. "'The weight is next to nothing. "'Put the seeds in the tubes and water with plant food in solution. "'The plants come up through the holes. "'Hydroponics. "'Gotta almost do it. "'If I'm going way out to Mars without much supplies, "'maybe before I get there, I'll have even ripe tomatoes. Costs with sun all the time, the stuff grows like fury, they say. I'll have string beans and onions and flowers, anyhow. Helps keep the air oxygen fresh, too. Wish I had a few bumblebees, cause now I have to pollinate by hand." Nope. Mitch couldn't get away from vegetation, even in space. The planet strappers soon established a routine for their journey out as far as the moon. There were watches, to be sure that none of the bubs veered, while somebody was asleep or inattentive. Always at hand were loaded rifles, because you never knew what kind of space-soured men, who might once have been as tame as neighbors going for a drive on Sundays with their families, might be around, even here. Neither Kuzak slept if the other wasn't awake. They were watching Tiflin, whose bub rode a little ahead of the others. He was ostracized, more or less. Everybody took to Ramos's kind of exercise, bouncing around inside a Bub, even Lester, who was calmer now, but obviously strained by the vast novelty and uncertainty ahead. "'I gave you guys a hard time.' "'I'm sorry,' he apologized, "'but I hope there won't be any more of that. "'The bunch will be breaking up soon, "'I guess, going here and there. "'And if I get a job at Serenitatis Base, "'I think I'll be okay.' Frank Nelson hoped that he could escape any further part of Lester, but he wasn't sure that he had the guts to desert him. It wasn't long before the ionics were shut off. Enough velocity had been attained. Soon the thrust would be needed in reverse for braking action near the end of a sixty-hour journey into a circumlunar orbit. Sleep was a fitful, dream-haunted thing, Food was now mostly a kind of gruel, rich in starches, proteins, fats, and vitamins, each meal differently flavored, up to the number of ten flavors, in a manufacturer's attempt to mask the sameness. Add water to a powder, heat, and eat. The spaceman's usual diet, while afield. One of the functions of the moisture reclaimers was a rough joke, or a squeamishness. A man's kidneys and bowels functioned, and precious water molecules couldn't be wasted here in the dehydrated emptiness. But what difference did it really make after the sanitary distillation of a reclaimer? Except adjust. Decision about employment or activity in the immediate future was one thing that couldn't be dismissed, and announcements beamed from the moon emphasized it. serenitatis Base, 17th Month, Day, 16th Hour. There was a chime. Lunar Projects Placement is here to serve you. Plastics chemist, hydroponics specialist, machinists, mechanics, metallurgists, miners, helpers are all urgently needed. The tax-free pay will startle you. Free subsistence and quarters here at Serene, at Tycho Station, or at a dozen other expanding sites. Charlie Reynolds sat with Frank Nelson while he listened. "'The lady has a swell voice,' said Charlie. "'Otherwise it sounds good, too. "'But I'm one that's going farther, "'to Venus, just being explored, "'all fresh and no man-made booby-traps, at least. "'Maybe they'll even figure out a way "'to make it rotate faster, "'give it a reasonably short day "'and a breathable atmosphere, "'make a warmer second Earth out of it. "'Sometimes, when you jump farther, "'you jump over a lot of trouble.' Better than going slow with faint hearts. Their muddling misfortunes begin to stick to you. I'd rather be Mitch, headed for heebie Mars, or the Cusacks aiming for that crazy asteroid belt. That was Charlie talking to him, Frank Nelson, like an older brother. It made a sharp doubt in him again, but then he grinned. Maybe I'm a slow starter, he said. The moon is near and humble, but some say it's good training, even harsher than space. "'and I don't want to bypass and miss anything. "'Oh, hell, Charlie, I'll get farther soon, too, "'but I really don't even know what I'll do yet. "'Got to wait and see how the cards fall.'" Several hours before the rest of the bunch curved into a slow orbit a thousand miles above the moon, Glenn Tiflin set the ionic of his bub for full acceleration and arched away outward, perhaps toward the belt. So long, all you dumb slobs, his voice hissed in their helmet phones. Now I really get lost. If you ever cross my path again, watch your heads. Art Kuzak's flare of anger died. Good riddance, he breathed. How long will he last alone? Without a space fitness card, the poor idiot probably imagines himself a big, dangerous renegade already. Joe Kuzak's answering tone almost had a shrug in it don't jinx our luck twin brother he said for that matter how long will we last mex did you toss tiflin back his shiv a couple of hours ago ramos answered mildly everybody was looking down at the moon whose crater pocked ugliness and beauty was sparsely dotted with the blue spots of stellene domes many of them housing embryo enterprises that were trying to beat the blast-off cost of necessities brought from earth and to supply spacemen and colonists with their needs cheaply. The nine fragile rings were soon in orbit. One worker-recruiting rocket and several trader-rockets, much less powerful than those needed to achieve orbit around Earth, because lunar gravity was only one-sixth of the terrestrial, were floating in their midst. On the moon, it had, of course, been known that a fresh bunch was on the way. Even telescopes could have spotted them farther off, than the distance of their 240,000-mile leap. Frank Nelson's tongue tasted of brassy doubt. He didn't know where he'd be, or what luck, good or bad, he might run into within the next hour. The Cusacks were palavering with occupants of two heavily loaded trader rockets. Sure we'll buy, if the price is right, Art was saying, flasks of water and oxygen, medicine, rolls of Staline, Spare parts for Archies, Ionics, Air Restorers, food, clothes, anything we can sell ourselves. The Cossacks must have at least a few thousand dollars, which they probably managed to borrow when they had gone home to Pennsylvania to say goodbye. Out here, free of the grip of any large sphere, there was hardly a limit to the load which their Ionics could eventually accelerate sufficiently to travel tremendous distances." Streamlining in the vacuum, of course, wasn't necessary either. Now a small, sharp-featured man in an archie drifted close to Ramos and Frank as they floated near their bubs. "'Hello, Ramos. Hello, Nelson,' he said. "'Yes, we know your names. We investigate beforehand, down on terra firma. We even have people to snap photographs. Often you don't even notice. We like guys with talent who get out here by their own efforts.' Shows they've got guts, seriousness. But now you've arrived. We are Lunar Projects Placement. We need mechanics, process technicians, administrative personnel, anything you can name, almost. Any bright lad with drive enough to learn fast suits us fine. Five hundred bucks an Earth week to start, meals and lodging thrown in. Quit any time you want. Plenty of different working sites, mines, refineries, factories, construction. Serena Titus Base?' Ramos asked almost too quickly, Frank thought, and he sounded curiously serious. "'Was this the Ramos who should be going a lot further than the moon, anyway?' "'Hell yes, fella,' said the job scout. "'Then I'll sign.' "'Excellent. You too, guy? The scout was looking at Frank. "'And your other friends?' "'I'm thinking about it,' Frank answered, casually, "'Some of them aren't stopping on the moon, as you can see.' Mitch Story was lashing a few flasks of oxygen and water to the rim of his bub, being careful to space them evenly for static balance. He didn't have the money to buy much more, even here. The Cusacks were preparing two huge bundles of supplies, which they intended to tow. Reynolds was also loading up a few things, with 2-and-2 helping him. "'I'm all set, Frank,' 2-and-2 shouted. "'I'm going along with Charlie.' maybe to crash the Venus exploration party. "'Good!' Frank shouted back, glad that this large, unsure person had found himself a leader. Now he looked at Gimp Hines, riding the spinning rim of his ring, with his good and bad leg dangling, an expectant, quizzical, half-worried look on his freckled face. But Dave Lester was more pathetic. He had stopped the rotation of his bub. He looked down first at the pitted, jagged face of the moon, with an expression in which rapture and terror may have been mingled, glanced with the hope of desperation toward the job scout, and then, distractedly, continued dismantling the rigging of his vehicle, as if to repack it in the blast-off drum for a landing. "'Hey, hold on, Les,' two and two shouted. "'You gotta know where you're going first. "'Make up your mind, Nelson,' said the job scout, getting impatient. "'We handle just about everything lunar.' except in the Tovey areas. Without us, you're just a lost, fresh punk. But another man had approached from another lunar G.O. rocket, which had just appeared. He had a thin, intellectual face, dark eyes, trap mouth, white hair, soft speech that was almost shy. I'm Xavier Rodan," he said. I search out my own employees. I do minerals survey for gypsum, bauxite, anything— and site survey for factories and other future developments. I also have connections with the Selenographic Institute of the University of Chicago. It is all interesting work, but in a rather remote region, I'm afraid, the far side of the moon, and I can pay only 300 a week. Of course, you can resign whenever you wish. Perhaps you'd be interested, Mr. Nelson, is it?' Frank had an impulse to jump at the chance, though there was a warning coming to him from somewhere. "'But how could you ever know? You would always have to go down to the Devil's Wilderness to find out.' "'I'll try it, Mr. Rodin,' he said. "'Selenography. That's one of my favorite subjects, sir,' David Lester burst out, making a gingerly leap across the horrible void of spherical sky, stars in all directions except where the moon's bulk hung. "'Could I, too?' His trembling mouth looked desperate. Very well, boy, Rodan said at last. A hundred dollars for a week's work, period. Frank was glad that Lester had a place to go, and furious that he would probably have to nursemaid him after all. Gimp Hines kept riding the rim of his ring like a merry-go-round, his face trying to show casual humor and indifference over ruefulness and scare. Nobody wants me, he said cheerfully. It's just prejudice and poor imagination. Well, I don't think I'll even try to prove how good I am. Of course I could shoot for the asteroids, but I'd like to look around Serena Titus' base some, anyway. Will fifty bucks get me and my rig down? Talk to our pilot, lame fella, said the job scout, but you must be suicidal nuts to be around here at all. The others leapt to help Nelson, Ramos, Gimp, and Lester strip and pack their gear. Ramos's and Gimp's drums were loaded into the Job Scouts rocket. Nelson's and Lester's went into Rodan's. Gloved hands clasped gloved hands all around. The bunch, the planet strappers, were breaking up. So long, you characters. See you around, said Art Kuzak. It won't be ten years before you all wind up in the belt. Bring back the mystery of Mars, Mitch, Frank was saying. "'When you get finished mooning, come to Venus, lover lads,' Reynolds told Ramos. "'But good luck.' "'Geez, I'm going to get sentimental,' Two-and-Two moaned. "'Luck, everybody. Come on, Charlie, let's roll. I don't want the slobber.' "'I'll catch up with you all. Watch,' Gimp promised. "'So long, Frank.' "'Yeah, over the Milky Way, Frankie.' "'Hasta luego, gang.' That was all Ramos, the Big Mouth, had to say. He wasn't glum, exactly.' but he was sort of preoccupied and impatient. The five remaining rings, a wonderful sight, Frank thought, began to move out of orbit. Ships with sails set for far ports. No, mere ships of the sea were nothing anymore. But would all of the bunch survive? Charlie Reynolds, the cool one, the most likely to succeed, waved jauntily and carelessly from his rotating, accelerating ring. Two and two wagged both arms stiffly from his. Mitch Story's bub, lightest-loaded, was jumping ahead, but you could hear him playing Old Man River on his mouth-organ inside his helmet. The Cusack's bubs, towing massive loads, were accelerating slowest, with the ex-gridiron twins riding the rigging. But their rings would dwindle to star specks before long, too. The Job Scouts rocket-carrying Ramos and Gimp began to flame for a landing at Serene. In the airtight cabin of Xavier Rodin's vehicle, Frank Nelson and David Lester had read and signed their contracts and had received their copies. Rodin didn't smile. Now we'll go down and have a look at the place I'm investigating, he said. End of Chapter 3, Part 2